Taylor Swift just said if she's got a blank space, if there's a blank space in any city, they're going to build a house on it. That's what the new legislation is promising, according to Housing Minister Ravi Kalan. Uh, and if you missed it, the provincial government table, uh, provincial government tabled legislation that allowed developers to start building a minimum of three and up to six units of lots currently zoned for a single-family home. Uh, the legislation also legalizes secondary suites and laneway homes across the province. Uh, the government pegs that the expected number of new units that would be built would be 130,000 within a decade. Now, we just spoke to uh, Langley Township Mayor Eric Woodward. He uh, articulated a lot of concerns, uh, especially for his community that is fast growing. They are building that missing middle, uh, but they want to have control of their destiny. And they feel that this big footing by Victoria is incredibly concerning. Well, joining me now to talk about this issue uh, is BC United Leader Kevin Falcon. I uh, wanted to get his thoughts on this issue Kevin, first of all, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jess. Uh, let's talk about this. Uh, you've worked in the development industry. Yes. You know quite, quite well. Um, on the on paper, it looks good. Where are your concerns? Yeah, on paper, it looks good. But I think that this is the challenge, frankly, with this government. You've got nobody in the government that has any skill or background in building any housing. And they're desperate because after seven years, their policies have given us the most unaffordable housing in North America and the highest rents in Canada. So they're looking at anything to try and improve things. And look, I'll support things that are going to work, but I just have to caution everyone out there. If you look at what happened in California, they did this over a year ago, uh, said that they were going to bring in exactly the same kind of policy, and they've had virtually no take up. In San Diego, which is a pretty big community, not unlike uh, British Columbia, they've had exactly seven uh new projects that have gone forward under their new law allowing up to four units uh, per single-family home. Why is that? Well, because in part, there's a couple of things that happen. One, on the choice properties, which are the ones that are going to be closer to transit lines or transit corridors, Mm -hmm. speculative activity takes place. So a lot of those folks living in those homes will see an increase in their value, but guess what? they're going to see a corresponding increase in their property taxes. Uh, And so that's something that uh, automatically happens. But the other thing is that for developers that try to redevelop, say that you've got a street with 10 homes, you're now going to make it 40 homes, just to use an example. Mm -hmm. Well, there has to be substantial upgrading of the sewer, the water, the power. Mm -hmm. It's very expensive. All of those costs get passed on to the end buyers. It's not going to be affordable. It will be expensive. And so I can tell you just based on my experience of, of you know, being involved in over a billion dollars worth of, of development projects and lots of different kinds of housing, uh, it's going to be very challenging. There won't be any uh, large developers going after. It'll be mostly the smaller, less sophisticated developers that are going to realize very quickly that this is very challenging to do. So I want to go back to your original comments here. So uh, it was implemented, uh, the, the legislation is implemented in California, but in the case of San Diego, you're saying in one year, once yes. this legislation was introduced, mm-hmm. they built a maximum of seven seven, seven, seven single-family lots were converted to That's right. uh, the, so, the 40 units. That's right. Each. Yeah, so that was based on a UC, uh, UC Berkeley study that analyzed, you know, okay, let's look at how we did in California a year later. And so they, they really did a deep dive into 13 cities, the bigger ones, mm-hmm. to take a look at, you know, what actually happened. And what they found was very little. Very little take up. Uh, and that's been the case in other jurisdictions that have tried it too. So I, I just think it's really important to understand that uh, the the simplistic, quick, easy solutions to complex problems usually don't work, just to be clear. Mm-hmm. Um, the other problem here that I see immediately is think about a community like Surrey. 
You know, for 30 years, the, the, all the planning experts have said, and they're right, that the best planning for the future of, of, of density is to try and have that density in your transit corridors and arterial corridors, because that's where you want to get people so they get out of their cars and into walking, cycling, and using rapid transit or public transit. Well, the problem is if you just say every single family lot's now going to be a potential four or up to six, six units of housing, well, now you've got sprawl all over the place. People are going to have to drive because they haven't got the transit in place. That creates more traffic. Guess what? You try and drive through Surrey right now from one end to the other, mm-hmm. you will be spending you know a good hour and a half in traffic, and so it actually makes things worse. So I just wish that you know as opposed to trying to come up with simplistic solutions, they actually worked with the mayors because there's a lot of great mayors out there. Eric Woodward's one of them, Malcolm Brody, Richard Stewart, Mike Hurley, others that are very willing partners to get lots of density built. Um, but you know just trying to bigfoot them, as you say, uh, and say province knows best, especially with people that have no background in housing. That usually doesn't end well. Well, how would you fix it, though? It's all great to say yeah. greater density. Give me some ideas. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. How would you fix some of this? Sure. Case? So a couple of examples. Number one, I'd bring in legislative change to make sure that the approval process uh, has certainty and timeliness, because that's really important. When it takes years to get a housing project through the approval process, that adds lots of cost to the, you know, to the end user. So speed means less cost. The other thing is we have to strip out the cost the government's imposing. We just saw, and you know, and I've got lots of friends in local government, they disagree with me on this, but I'll tell you, when Metro Vancouver says we're going to add $24,000 to the cost of every new unit built with a new fee that they introduced, that's not making housing more affordable. We have to look at the cost that the province imposes through not only delays, but all the fees and the costs that, that, that the province imposes, whether it's PST, property transfer tax, land ta- empty land tax, vacant land tax, all the other taxes that government's imposed all add to the cost. So, but, but how do you pay for that? Like their, their argument on the regional side is growth pays for growth. That's mm-hmm. their simple line. Uh, and they want to move some of the property tax balance away from the average taxpayer yes. to the developers. And, right? and they're right. So Eric Woodward and Langley is a good example. What I would do is for communities like that, that have large greenfield sites, they call them, that, that, that the city is quite open to saying, let's build lots of housing here. Well, there's huge upfront costs there that are very, very expensive. You've got to build, you know, the, the drainage uh, catchment areas. You've got all the sewer and pipes, et cetera. A lot of money. I'd be, I'll tell you as Premier, what I would do, front a lot of those costs so that we can get that underway. That relieves a lot of the pressure off the municipality, like Langley. You'd have to Mm -hmm. limit it to those communities that have the ability to move quickly to get lots of housing built. We'd front those costs. We'd get it back later through DCCs or latecomer agreements. But that's how you would actually open up large tracks that could build lots of housing, subject to making sure the municipalities get the kind of density there that makes sense. So there's lots of ways we can work with uh, progressive leaders like Eric and others to get exactly what they need done but you got to work with them you know to, to think that you know the people on high from victoria are going to find the solution to housing is ridiculous you got to work with the people that know how to build housing that's the development community the nonprofit community but also the mayors um they they've got lots of good ideas too we are speaking to Kevin Falcon, leader of the BC United Party. Uh, at the 4 o'clock hour, we spoke to Eric Woodward, the Township of Langley Mayor. Uh, their comments are quite similar. Uh, Mr. Woodward is talking about the challenges before City Hall uh, when they're being bigfooted by the provincial government with their new legislation that is before government right now, where they basically have said that uh, people can build build a, a three or up to six units on a single family lot, and they want to legalize secondary suites and laneway homes across 
the province. Many have asked, well, what's the use of City Hall, quite frankly? So we've been talking to Kevin Falcon, who has worked in the development industry as well. But do give us a call uh, on the open line. I want to hear uh, your thoughts as well. 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell phone. Uh, the provincial government's going to say, look, there's a bottleneck at City Hall. We've got to do something about when, about housing and affordability. Others have said, wait, there's a reason we elect local, offic- local officials to uh, make sure they address local needs. Uh, let's go to Ryan in Vancouver. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Jess. Uh, I wanted to say a couple things. First, just I joined the BC Liberals in 2009 because it was the NDP that was opposing and the tax campaign and they were fighting against electoral reform. Mm-hmm. And I'm incredibly disappointed with the direction of the parties because thinking, I will not be supporting it under this leader. I just find it absolutely abysmal. Well, second of all, I have no patience for Kevin Falcon's comments about people not taking transit enough when one of his big proposals this week was to subsidize driving out of general revenues by taking the provincial tax off the PST. Guess what that does? It encourages people to not take transit. So, you know, you still have to pay the fares, but no, you know one has to pay anything to drive? Come All right. on. Ryan, thanks for your call. We'll let Kevin answer that. Sure. So we recognize that uh, in British Columbia, we've got the highest uh, gas prices in North America. Uh, I make no apologies for the fact that we said we would eliminate the uh, provincial fuel taxes permanently. That will save up to 15 cents a litre for drivers out there. And I can tell you, uh, for someone driving an F-150, that's 33 bucks for a fill-up. And you do that a few times a month, and those are real savings. And I'm just, you know, frankly tired of governments and politicians that find ways to keep justifying how they keep picking the pockets of British Columbians. But the fact of the matter is, uh, BC has become the most unaffordable province in the country, full stop. And we got to deal with that. Uh, let's go to Richard in Vancouver. Hi, Richard. Good afternoon, guys. Uh, really appreciate your discussion on this topic. And I really think I agree with Kevin and the Langley mayor that this is the, the BC government imposing its will to appease its uh, voter base on uh, on this issue, right? And um, right now, also, you've got to be really concerned about the property value uplift this, this is going to have on any of us and seniors, because as you know, taxation is based on assessed value, and assessed value is based on best use of the land. So if you can build like a junior apartment building next door to me right now, that's going to drive up my property values. The big solution to this, and I think the Langley mayor kind of hit on it really well, is that, you know, Canada is a big country. What we need to be doing is building satellite cities, Kelowna, places like this. You can have, have offices and jobs there. You don't have to turn, you know, Vancouver and Burnaby into Manhattan-type cities to basically house people. What we have to do is really get out of the box here and start building up other small communities all through the province. Richard, thanks for your call. I appreciate that. Let's get back to that land lift comment. Now, the provincial government has said, look, this is rezoning the entire province. We're not going to see the significant land lift that everybody is expecting. What do you say to that? Uh, There will be some for sure. In in Auckland, New Zealand, where they did the same policy, they saw a 12% uh, property lift on properties in middle-class neighbourhoods. So more than actually they saw on the top end of the market and the lower end of the market. So it's actually the middle-class that appeared to pay the highest price in terms of uh, land lifts. Can I stop you there? That sure. would mean more property tax, a property tax increase next year for a lot of people. Oh, for well. sure. Absolutely. There's no question. And I think some of the mayors have talked about that and, and pointed that out. And it's true. And so, look, I, I just think it, it's important that we try to solve this problem. I am not against people coming out with out-of-the-box solutions and thinking about how we can fix things. 
But what I get concerned about is similar to their Airbnb legislation. They haven't thought it all through. I don't think they've frankly talked to enough people that know uh, how the business works and they're going to get into a situation of unintended consequences. Um, We've been talking about housing. I got about a minute left, but I want to get this to you. Uh, Peter Julian, NDP uh, MP from New Westminster Burnaby, said that uh, earlier today the federal NDP will now be supporting a conservative motion to pause the federal carbon price on all forms of home heating. Uh, that includes natural gas. Uh, when it comes to uh, home heating here in British Columbia, heating oil represents about 1.8% of all the households, about 40,000. But when it comes to natural gas, that's nearly a million households here in British Columbia. That's right. Um, <clears throat> that's the federal NDP saying they're going to support Mr. Pollock and the Conservatives. Uh, what do you think the provincial NDP government should be doing? In well, yeah, as you know, on Monday, in addition to saying we would eliminate permanently the uh, provincial fuel taxes, we said that we need to eliminate the carbon tax on all home feed, uh, fuel uh, uh, options, whether it's propane, natural gas, or oil. If they did it in the East Coast, then it's good enough for them. It ought to apply here in the West Coast. We made that very clear. They, David Eby and the NDP continue to dig in their heels. They absolutely refuse to give people a break. I think it's wrong. We've now got the Manitoba NDP, the Alberta NDP, the federal NDP. Only David Eby and this NDP government doesn't believe in giving British Columbians a break, and I think that's wrong. Heating is an essential thing. It's not just something that you can use when you feel like it. It is essential, and I think it's wrong that we're charging the carbon tax on that, and that should be removed. If it's good enough for the East Coast, it's good enough for BC. Kevin Falcon, thank you. Thanks for having me, Jazz.